some wind to go that way. Almost. Almost. There we go. All right, don't make me come out there to you. Man, we've we've finally reached there. Um, I, I mean, there's a few of the things that I I'm gonna uh, or I'd like to with the cookbook add to it, but uh, I think I'm gonna reserve it to write about it a little bit. Um, one of the things that I've been doing is, uh, you know, I write everything down that I preach. Obviously, you know, we write our sermons out as pastors. Some do. Some are really good off the cuff. I'm not really good off the cuff, but uh, uh, I, so I write everything down. I try to write it as much as I can, almost like I talk, although I think I write better than I talk. But um, so one of the things that I've done, like when we, one of the first sermon series we did was called The War. And uh, I, I'm not, you know, if any of the guys have known me for a while, I don't really do series a lot. I like preaching out of books. And like, I like to say that, like, we finished Ephesians and we finished Philippians and which we've done that, actually. I think the Philippians, for sure, went since we've been here. And uh, so I like, I like completing books. And I think after this one, we're going to go right back to the book of Matthew and really go back into talking about Jesus. And, and uh, you know, one thing I can tell, just... I don't know if it's the mosaic journey that's done this to me or, or what, but uh, one of the things that I have become my eyes have become tuned into more is this idea of works always trying to just jump up there and to play its part in our life over grace. And I just tell you, for instance, that I, you know, I see some of these great quotes out there from people. They're quoting somebody they heard, and it sounds so good. And uh, this one quote that I had heard out there was, was something to the degree of, you know, like, your experience or encounter with God is based off how much you do. Or, and, and that was the idea or the premise behind it. If you're not experiencing God, then you need to do more. And I was thinking, oh, man, that just flies in the face of grace. Grace says that you did nothing and I'm still coming to be with you. Grace says, you know, here you are lost in your sins and you don't do anything but re repent and acknowledge God as Savior. And that's enough with God. He will... He will bring you into his presence. I mean, he does that with the sinner. And this concept that, and I, I said this last week, and I think Halloween maybe brings it out in us a little bit, but um, this concept that if we, and I know this is, comes from parenting, right? Because I'm going to, listen, we understand when your dog does something good, you give it a treat. That way you teach it how to do something good. You treat your kids the same way. You're, how many of you pay your kids when they got A's? Oh, I'm the only one. Two people. Okay, sorry. We're the guys raising our kids horrible. No, uh, but everybody's done, I think, like a reward for good behavior. Some kind of, if you act good, then you get more. You get more responsibility if you act like you can handle responsibility. So we reward those things. And the, the irony of grace says, you haven't done anything. <laughs> and it's such a foreign concept. So no wonder we struggle with it. We're raised our whole life so apart from grace. We're raised our whole life that works mean everything. That if we do good, and the more good we do, the more God must love us, and the more God must bless us, and the more God must be with us. Right? That's why, like, now, 
Maybe I'll step on some toes and maybe I'm the only one that's seen people or have experienced people like this where like I've, I've known like you're in the church for a long time and you see somebody just get saved and you know they ain't living right but God's blessing them left and right. And you're like, why is God? Bl- I've been living my whole life for Jesus. Well, because God reigns on the just and unjust alike. Uh, because God's love is not dictated by your response to him. And, uh, and so there's a lot of other things that I still would love to write in the, the cookbook. And, and, and I'm still going to, I think. I think I'm going to stop it here with us. But I've got a few other things that I really want to t- uh, talk about with it. And uh, one of the things that I've done, so I talked about the war. I've, I've compiled all those writings together. And I've put them in books for myself. A great thing that if you're not doing that, guys. By the way, I encourage you, if you carry journals and you, you have stories of your life, things you want to leave to your kids... You cannot beat, uh, Amazon's got a website where you can literally write your own book and they will print it for you for hardly anything. Literally, you can buy it for like two or three bucks for yourself. You know, you ain't got to buy a bunch of copies of it. They'll print just a handful of copies for you for a couple bucks a piece, guys. And I'm not saying that to buy anything from, what I'm saying is this, do that for your kids. You know, one of the ways that I, one of the things that I started thinking about, and again, this is one part of one of the cookbook things, is how do I influence a generation that I might never see? I have to leave something for them, right? One of the things that I found is my thoughts, my ideas. They might—that's the whole idea of the cookbook. That they might be the seeds of thoughts or ideas that are that are built upon and bettered. You know, I don't know if that's a word, but right now it's going to be bettered uh, uh, by another generation, and so. Lots of things I want to write about, lots of things I want to do, uh, but I encourage you to write your thoughts down, to write the things that have challenged you down, to, um, that way you have things to reflect on, things that you see have changed in your life, maybe the concepts, the way you looked at church, the way you looked at things in your life. I know that for me, I have fallen more in love with Jesus through the mosaic journey than I ever had before, and, uh, I couldn't help but, like, I was looking at on Facebook, and, uh, watching all the churches like remind everybody you know everybody's turning up the share picture if i could turn back time you know we remind everybody to be there be there be at church don't forget church don't get church and the truth of the matter is jesus woke up with them this morning guys just like he woke up with you you know jesus i know we all want him to be at our location and be at our place but know this that jesus loves people right where they're at that the church will always be right where you're at you know the church exists in your home if you didn't come here you'd still have church. If you didn't come here, as long as you believe in Jesus and begin to share the faith of Jesus Christ, you will still be in church. Do we understand that? Okay, good, good. I want to talk about something that I unfortunately know a lot about. I say unfortunately, sometimes it's good, sometimes not so good. Uh, I want to talk about uh, rocking the boat today. Rocking the boat today. Um, you know, I heard, uh, and, I, and this didn't spawn from the election, but I couldn't help as I was writing this to think about the election, and specifically something Chris Wallace said on MSNBC. I know, I'm a pastor, I shouldn't be watching MSNBC, it's completely liberal, I know, I know. But I couldn't help, one of the things he had said is, listen, if you want the, the way the things have been done, and this is MSNBC, this is liberal media saying this, is that if you want uh, things the way it's always been, if you want, if you're okay with all the wars, if you're okay 
with uh, the way things have been going for the last eight years, if you're okay with the Affordable uh, Care Act or Obamacare, if you're okay with the rising cost of premiums, if you're okay with all these things and the way the country is shifting and changing right now, then yeah, he's, he, this is what he said. He said, vote for Hillary. It's more of the same. You're, it's going, that'll be what you're used to. That'll be, but listen, if you want to blow this system up, that's what he said. If you want to like take it down and cripple it to its knees, if, you want, if you're sick of the cronyism and the, the uh, deceitfulness that's in Washington, if you, if you want to uh, 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 like literally experiment in a revolution, then he said, vote for Trump. Now, I couldn't believe that he said this, but really what he's saying, and, and, it, and it expressed to me is this, you know, often that we do not change until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change, right? And so what he's saying is if you're not in pain yet, then yeah, you're going to vote for Hillary. And if, if this country sickens you, if you're, dis- 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 listen, I'm not sure Trump can do better, but one thing he will do is bring it to its knees. He will, he is the outsider coming in. He is going to change. The- it is going to be a change, but if that's too much for you, then he's saying, yeah, you don't need to go that way. But if you, if you're willing to risk it, then yeah. Why, why do they say that about Trump? Because he's a, he's a boat rocker. Is he perfect? No, <laughs> not even close. I know like we're like, yeah, lesser two evils, pastor. I know, I know, I know. But he's a boat rocker. They scare us. That whole idea of the system changing, we're like, oh, we're just sick of it. That's because we're not really thinking this thing through about what that change could literally mean. We're not thinking of how it could affect every person that's sitting in the House or the Senate. But some of us be like, I don't even care, right? Because it's not your life. It doesn't affect you. Or maybe by the time it does, it'll be six years down the road. Because it seems like everything's slow on the, on the hill. But they're boat rockers. Every once in a while, one comes along. Just how it is. Um, we'll start there this morning. That, I, I, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about people who bring change. I'm not saying that Trump's the guy. What I'm saying is I just want to talk about people who bring change. All right? And I want to talk it from a godly perspective. Uh, this wasn't time for this. This is just something that's always been a long core belief of mine. Uh, as, as we've become a, a technological society, everyone's either heard of Windows or Apple. You've heard of one or the other. Okay? Uh, for years, these two have always been in the forefront of their markets, hands down. However, what most people don't know is that before Apple became this powerhouse that it is today, it had to learn how to embrace what made it so different. Actually, in the 90s, uh, the Windows platform took the nation by storm. Let's just say the truth is that businesses love cheap stuff and cheap stuff that works. And Windows was that. And uh, you can go buy a Mac for 1000 or you can go buy a $300 Windows that'll just about do the same thing. Now, it's going to come with a lot of other problems and all these other things, but let's just put that aside. Windows, and in, in, in the, in the, if you could pay somebody to, uh, r- to really keep it going and keep everything going... It, it'll work for you. And, and during the 90s, man, it exploded. It exploded. They were, they were doing good. In contrast, Apple, they were different. They kind of stuck to their guns that we're going to do stuff different. We're not going to allow everything to just be programmed to us. It's got to come from us. Right? So if we don't got it, you can't get it. And so they were like, well, then the heck with you. We're going to the thing that's like can multitask here, not just something that's proprietary. And so in 97, Apple took like a devastating loss to the stock market. 
Most people don't know that, right? And they had to go back in and reevaluate what they were doing. Because they have to answer to people just like anybody else does. Like, I know you think you're cool, but we might not have a business for all your coolness. All right? Like, I mean, think about it. This is capitalism. This is not like, hey, I got a good idea. Your, your idea is great, but if nobody will fund it, it's just an idea. All right? And so they're, they're, the stock market crashed in on them because uh, you don't put out a product that sells like everything else does. You're trying so hard to stick to your guns, but you don't provide anything else. You're not... And they kind of, they, they reevaluated what they did. They looked at their marketing team. They says, what do we do here? Do we change what we are? Or do we double down and believe in ourselves and say that what we're doing is right? Well, obviously, you probably know. They doubled down. They said, we do not care what the dollar value is saying right now. This is our identity. This is who we are. And they developed a marketing campaign designed to show how they viewed their work. Now, some of you have heard this. You might have seen the commercial. But there was a commercial they put out in 97 called The Crazy Ones. All right? And I'm going to read it to you. It's wonderful stuff, okay? This, here's what it says. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs and the square holes. The ones who see things differently, they're not fond of rules, and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. About the only thing you can't do is ignore them, because they change things. They push the human race forward, and while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Powerful, right? <laughs> Apple rocked the boat. They decided they weren't going to conform to the almighty dollar, right? And allow the money side of business to take over the creative side for what they were trying to do. They knew they were headed somewhere. They knew they were. Today, we listen to music, access the internet, how we talk on the phone. It all has been changed by Apple. Think about it. I mean, I remember the day when CDs came out, guys. All right, so you, you, you do too. I remember when it was all tapes. I'm, when I first started going to church, that was when it was tapes, man. And I had like a, I remember I had a series and you opened up this big book thing and had like all these tapes in it, you know? And, th and then they moved to CDs and you could get a whole CD and then they just one CD could carry a whole series, you know? It was incredible, right? And then Apple puts out this thing called the iPod and the day of CDs is over. That's nothing but like a ninja star for your kids now. Right? Despite everything that was against them, they persevered and kept their identity. They're boat rocker. Are you a boat rocker? A troublemaker, a crazy one? I have found myself really thinking about this a lot and asking myself this question over and over. And, and I don't want to be someone who rocks the boat simply out of meanness, because I think some of us do. Uh, uh, or I, I don't want to be a boat rocker just trying to be different for the sake of being different. After all, I believe that I am called to love other people more than myself. However, there comes a point when the status quo begs to be challenged. And I have found that where, inju where, where injustice is, is found, often you're going to find a boat rocker. Now, a boat rocker is simply defined as this, one who challenges the status quo. That's all that is. All right. Take, for instance, the prophet Elijah. 
there was so much corruption in his time, he could have just turned his eyes like the thousands and thousands of other people who lived in Israel. But he didn't. Elijah rocked the boat. 1 Kings 18, 16 through 17 says, So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come. And Ahab went out to meet Elijah. Now listen to what Ahab says. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So it is. It's really you, you troublemaker of Israel. Now when you think of Elijah, you don't think of troublemaker, do you? Usually we think of the powerful prophet who calls down fire. We don't think of him like this. Ahab now, he is really more famous for who he married. Jezebel. We know that name. The, funny, the irony of that name is still, still around today. People still call each other Jezebel. That They were both wicked, and they both, they both launched Israel into complete darkness. And at the time, the people were really more intent on hiding than causing any trouble. Now, why? Because Ahab and Jezebel were known for killing those who made trouble. And apparently, Elijah didn't get the memo. So Elijah became the thorn in their side, staying true to the Lord and holding fast to his faith. Now, unfortunately for Ahab, this wasn't his only troublemaker he had in his kingdom, as God often is known uh, as the God of second chances. So when Elijah had moved on, God sent him another one, maybe not as powerful. That's why we tend not to remember him. God sent another man named Micaiah to speak up and out against the wickedness of Ahab. Now, Ahab didn't fear Micaiah like he feared Elijah. I mean, you know, God calls down fire. You feared that guy. All right? Listen to 1 Kings chapter 22. I'm just going to read 10 through 18. It says, King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah, dressed in their royal robes, were sitting on thrones at the threshing floor near the gate of Samaria. All of Ahab's prophets were prophesying there. Listen, do you hear that? All of the Ahab's prophets were prophesying there in front of them. One of them, Zedekiah, son of Kenana, came from some iron, uh, uh, made some iron horns and proclaimed, this is what the Lord says. These are other preachers now. With these horns, you will gore the Arameans to death. All of the other prophets agreed. Yes, they said, go up to Ramoth Gilead and be victorious, for the Lord will give the king victory. Meanwhile, the messenger who went to get Micaiah said to him, uh, look, all the prophets are promising victory for the king. Be sure that you agree with him and promise success. But Micaiah replied, as surely as the Lord lives, I will say only what the Lord tells me to say. Now when Micaiah arrived before the king, Ahab asked him, Micaiah, should we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or should we hold back? Love this. This is, you know, when the Bible's real. Micaiah replied sarcastically. <laughs> yeah, uh, go up and be victorious. For the Lord will give, you, give the king victory. But the king replied sharply, How many times must I demand you that you speak only the truth to me when you speak for the Lord? <laughs> then Micaiah told him in a vision. This is funny. I saw all of Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said their master has been killed. Send them home in peace. Didn't I tell you the king of Israel exclaimed to Jehoshaphat. He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. The funny thing, we didn't get into the whole story, but the whole story talks about how they, they slapped him around trying to tell him, listen, you better say the good things. Remember, all the other prophets are out here prophesying good. Don't come in here prophesying bad. But as soon as he didn't, you notice as soon as he didn't say something optimistic, they know oh, something's wrong. <laughs> Boat rockers are often troublemakers for, for some. 
but they're also heroes to others. And when we read this, we know that God's with this small prophet. We know that he is telling the truth, but it obviously doesn't seem that way from Ahab's point of view. Remember, all the other preachers are telling him, it's going to be all right. It's okay. The way we're doing things is good. We're prophesying victory. You've got to be optimistic. You don't have enough faith to believe in your victory. We have victory. This guy doesn't have faith to believe in a victory, but we all have victory. Here's another man saying just bad things about the king. That's all he is. And I wonder if the reason they don't credit him with speaking the truth is because it's only been Elijah and, and uh, Micaiah up to this point saying anything. I mean, come on. All the preachers of that day are going, dude, it's going to be great. It's only two guys saying bad things. Yeah, one's Elijah. Yeah, we saw the things he did. But it's only two guys. Come on, who are you going to believe? Everybody else are just two guys. These guys are thorns in your side. Are you going to believe them? Everyone else has kept their mouth shut. Or worse, right? They've been what I called optimistically lying. Right? Well, I'm an optimist. I believe it's always going to be good. And you'll die that way. And you'll die that way. It's not easy rocking the boat. It makes people mad. Uh, it confronts, it questions the motives behind decisions. For Jeremiah, it caused him a great deal of grief. He struggled to maintain his countenance. In the first chapter of the book of Jeremiah, most, this is where most people know about Jeremiah. They, they see him ambitious. He's young. He's scared because he's young. This, this God is speaking to him, and he's like, God, I'm young. He says, man, I've made you. I formed you in the womb. It was me. And he's trying to encourage him and, and, and speak into his life. And he's trying to prepare him. And, and Jeremiah's like, yeah, it's going to be good. And he's excited to work for the Lord. But by the time we get to chapter 20, he speaks as a man who's faced the consequences for rocking the boat. Jeremiah chapter 20. First couple of verses say, Now Pasher, son of Immer, the priest in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard what Jeremiah was prophesying. So he arrested Jeremiah, the prophet, and had him whipped and put in stocks at the Benjamin gate of the Lord's temple. I didn't see anywhere in the first chapter where God says, hey, I am calling you, Jeremiah, to be whipped and thrown into jail. I don't think we're ever told that part, right? We're like, oh, I can't wait to go into ministry. And as we're getting whipped, God didn't say this. That was not on the job description. By the way, if you read the Bible, it is in the job description. It's all over it, by the way. Go down to verses 7 through 10. It says, oh, Lord... This is Jeremiah speaking. Think, think of, thinking now, again, in the beginning, he's ambitious, right? Now it's cost him some jail time. He's been whipped. Now listen to him cry out to the Lord. Oh, Lord, you misled me, and I allowed myself to be misled. You were stronger than I am, and you overpowered me. Now I am mocked every day. Everyone laughs at me. And when I speak, the words burst out violence and destruction, I shout. So these messages from the Lord have made me a household joke. But if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak his name, his words burn in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my, bone, my bones. I'm worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. I've heard the many rumors about me. They call me the man who lives in terror. They threaten if you say anything, we'll report it. Even my old friends are watching me waiting for a fatal slip. He will trap himself, they say, and then they will get their revenge on me. Come a long ways from chapter 1, where he's just this young kid who wants to be called by the Lord. God, I'm too young. Don't think of your age. I've made you. I'll put my words in you. 
But by chapter 20, he's like, you've made me the laughing stock. I rock the boat, and now I face the consequences, and I don't like the consequences, God. Jeremiah was torn between the injustice he saw and his heart's cry to speak up about it, and yet his, the desire to keep his mouth shut for all the pain he endured. Think about it. I'm just trying to do what's right, but in doing what's right, it's costing me all kinds of trouble and pain. How many of you have struggled with this? Seriously. I mean, you want to do the right thing, but you know that if speaking up, if you speak up, it's going to cost you. If you say something, it's, it could cost you your job. It could cost you something else. You might not be liked. You don't want to go talk to the teacher and rebuke or, or something to a teacher because you're worried it's going to come out against your kid. You might not be accepted, so you don't say anything. You let other people do things that are wrong because you're worried about not being liked or accepted or that you might get in trouble. You're worried about your own reputation. Why don't we stand up? Why don't we rock the boat? Now, I think we all believe that in the, when the time is right, Pastor, uh, we will. But can I tell you, studies in human nature have shown otherwise. How many of you have ever heard of the Milgram experience? or the experiments that he did in the 60s. In the early 60s, Stanley Milgram conducted a series of social psychological experiments at Yale University. And I'll read you the little short Wikipedia thing, but then I'm going to explain it in plain terms. His experiments measured the willingness of study participants, men from a diverse range of occupations with varying levels of education, to obey authority figures who instructed them to perform acts conflicting with their personal conscience. The experiment found unexpectedly that a high proportion of people were prepared to obey, albeit unwillingly, even if apparently causing serious injury and distress. Now let me explain it in plain, in plain terms. They created an experiment. He wanted to know. Now Stanley Milgram was a Jewish uh, uh, background. And he was bothered by World War II and the things that happened there. How could these Germans do what they did to the Jewish people and yet feel no remorse to stop it? They, they, they were, there, were, there were people who testified. They knew it was wrong, but they were just doing what they were told to do. How could they do such atrocities and not have any responsibility within them to say no? Why couldn't they rock the boat? That's what he wanted to know. So he set up experiments. He sat someone. He brought two people in. He explained to them, we're going to pay you to do this experiment. I'm going to take one of you, and we are going to hook you up to these electro node things, and we're going to put you in a room uh, all by yourself. You are going to be at this table with this box that's going to send the electric shocks out to the guy in the other room. This guy over here is the doctor. He will tell you. Uh, uh, if you need to stop or go or anything else, there are going to be a list of commands. And if he gives you the wrong answer, you're to shock him. So they sit these two guys up. They hook the guy up. They sit the one guy down. The doctor's sitting over here and he goes, begin. And he's, and he's going through and he's saying the things that he should be responding to. The guy's getting it wrong. And he's shocking him. And with every passing five minutes or so, the ampage gets turned up. And, and that's the experiment to see how they really, these guys really don't understand what's going on in the experiment. They have no clue what's actually happening. So they keep telling them they're turning the ampage up. Now, what this guy doesn't know that's turning the ampage up and pushing the button, that the other guy in the other room's in on it, and he's not hooked up to anything. This doctor keeps telling him, hey, you should keep doing it. In the meantime, once it starts getting up there where this guy's really putting some volts in there, the guy in the room starts to moan and scream a little. 
The doctor's telling this guy, keep pushing the button. We're paying that guy money. He knows what he's in for. He's not saying stop, keep doing it. And it gets to the point, it's the highest this thing can go, and they're pushing. He's like, I'm going to have a heart attack. Help me, help me. Push the button. The doctor's like, push the button. Can I tell you, like 98% of the people kept pushing it. 98% of the people kept pushing it. His, the, our, our desire to conform is so great that we, will, we disassociate ourselves being the responsible person. Now, who pushed the button, the doctor or the guy? The guy. But he says, well, I was just doing what the doctor said. I would have never wanted to hurt somebody like this. But who was pushing the button? We disassociate ourselves with that. We choose not to have responsibility and lay blame somewhere else. Even though we become the hands and feet of things we shouldn't be the hands and feet of. Because we're too scared to say no. We're too scared to face what might happen should we say no. Now, these experiments were so popular, they would go on to literally try to make like a, a four-TV movie where literally William Shatner was part of the whole movie thing. I mean, it was, it was a big deal. It's worth, it's worth checking out, guys. Um, <clears throat> only the few were willing to stand up. And before you say you're different... Statistics and history prove otherwise. What causes us to go with the flow? To never question authority and to keep our mouths shut? Well, I've talked about it in here before. We never ask questions. Why don't you ask questions? Because you know questions are what make people mad. Those who've been with me with the cert training, you already seen it. I mean, I've asked a few, tra- I've asked a few questions to our trainers in the cert training. And, you know, the joke has been that guy, I think we saw his blood vessel come out of his neck. I ask questions. I want to know why. I don't just take your word verbatim. Why? Explain it to me. Help me understand what you see. Now, I'm going to tell you what. It causes me to grieve a lot of people and a lot of people not to like me. But I'm curious. I, I don't mean to rock the boat, but I rock the boat. It's more my nature for me. I think it's a gift in one way and a curse in another because I feel like, Jeremiah, there's a piece of me that's ambitious to do it, and then there's the other side of me that goes, okay, I was sorry. Can we go back to the way it was? I'm my bad. I did not want to pay the consequences for that one. But we often are the people who just go along, man. Elijah stood up and said, God, I'm all alone. God said, well, there's, a, what is he, five or 7,000? Are you at the bow knee? Why weren't they saying anything? They were just going with the flow. Right? Evil, evil perseveres because quiet men do nothing. They keep their mouth shut. That's why it perseveres. Only a small few are willing to stand up and receive whatever consequences that might incur. Only a small few. Right? Maybe it's how we view people who rock the boat. Maybe we are like the kings of old. We see them as troublemakers. Making more trouble than really anything else. I mean, I mean, that's definitely the case in the Old Testament. Those guys are just called troublemakers, like constantly. They're always in the thorn of everybody else's business. Saul could have had a great kingdom if it wasn't for Samuel. Ahab could have just reigned great if it wasn't for Elijah. Always the thorn in his side. And there's always a prophet around yelling at them, telling at them what they need to be doing. I mean, constantly. Listen, for every one prophet, there's like 300 others that say good things. 
They're playing the power and the position and everything else that they can get from it. So what about the New Testament? Well, if Jesus was anything, he was love personified. And he spent most of his time, well, being a troublemaker and a boat rocker in the nicest way. He constantly was doing things, uh, however, that defied the leadership and authority of his day. He loved, to, he loved to poke at them a little bit, the Pharisees. John 7, 23 through 24 reads, Now if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly, as he says. Also in John 9, 14 reads, Now on the day which Jesus had made, uh, uh, which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. You're not supposed to, they come to him all the time. You're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. Not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. What did Jesus do? Stuff on the Sabbath. Boat rocker. Troublemaker. I mean, he's like a kid. I said, no, quit. Stop. Can't help it. Going to do it. Jesus loved to heal on the Sabbath, even if it meant being hassled by the Pharisees. He questioned their motives. He revealed their staggering depravity, however subtle it might have been. And to the sheep, Jesus, man, he's a shepherd. He takes care of them. He attends their infirmities. He listens to their needs. Now, to the Pharisees, he was more like a prophet. He was constantly questioning their heart towards God's will and ways. To the sheep, he's amazing. He is the friend. He's an open book. And to the Pharisees, he's their foe. He's their enemy and a speaker of mysteries. They don't understand half the stuff he's saying. Jesus says to stop judging by mere appearances, and I'm not sure we ever will. We see a boat rocker, we see a troublemaker. It doesn't mean they're necessarily that's what they are. They might be a liberator is what they might be. We can't control, can't control some parts of our culture, but we can't control our own hearts. 1 Samuel 16, 7 reads, For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Maybe this is why the ministry of Christ was such an issue for the Pharisees. How could a man who hung out with unclean sinners ever have such an amazing field ministry i always love it when people people look at that they they judge everything by the outward appearance right how can a man who's struggling who's deep in sin have any kind of blessing to anyone else how can he move in the anointing i don't know ask samson it's all over the bible samson's like the worst guy we parade samson like he's some hero are you kidding did you read the bible like, he's like a children's tale of Samson. He's so strong, he's got long hair. Yeah, he has long hair because he took a Nazareth vow. His parents were told he's going to be a Nazarene. Nazarenes are not allowed to cut their hair. They're not allowed to drink wine. But what do we find Samson doing? Samson loves to drink and hang out with prostitutes. I mean, he's constantly in places he's not supposed to be. He ends up getting his hair cut off by who? A prostitute. Because he drank too much and passed out. <laughs> oh, but yeah, in the end, he wins against the Philistines after they gouged his eyes out. Yeah, good job, bro. Way to put your best foot forward. Well, then why would God be with the guy who totally is oblivious to anything God said to do? Because God reigns on the just and unjust alike. You don't get to control how God uses grace. You don't get to control how God blesses some and not bless others or however that looks for you. You think God doesn't bless other people. You don't know what blessing is and really what all that is to somebody else. 
It's different for them than it is for you. We're so quick to judge by the outward, but truly, truly, God looks on the inside. How can a man seem to contradict the religious system of his day and still be successful? (laughs) It's an insult. Think about it. His life, Jesus, his life was an insult to men who'd spent their entire life dedicated to a system that they wholly believed and lived their life around. I mean, this guy shows up. He's 33. These guys are like 60, and they've been studying it since they were 20. And he's like, I'm not even listening to y'all. And like, he like starts a movement. They're so mad. I've been doing this my whole life. And you just come in here and rock this thing up? I mean, come on. Who do you think you are? Boat rocker. Boat rocker. Dare I say troublemaker. Fortunately for Jesus, he has a tendency to create boat rockers. And I'm more prone to say this. This is like something I've learned to say over the years, and I I wholeheartedly believe. Radical people produce radical people. Let me say it again. Radicals produce radicals. The apostle Apostle Peter and John, who followed in the footsteps of Jesus, by the time we get into Acts, just chapter 4, two chapters after the Holy Spirit falls, you you find them in Acts 4, verses 1 to 4. Listen, it says, while Peter and John were speaking uh, to the people, they were confronted by the priest, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. The leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there's this resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, troublemakers. And since it was already evening, they put them in jail, boat rocker. But many of the people who heard their message believed it, so the number of men who believed were now totaled 5,000. I'd go to jail all day long if we win 5,000 for Jesus. Boat rockers and troublemakers. Can't get rid of these guys. We killed Jesus. The message is still going. We're going to throw these dudes in jail. 5,000 people get saved. We've just got to start loving on these bros. I couldn't believe that. First of all, you know that you're so hard-hearted when you can't think, we, maybe we should just like let them go and just like love on them and be their friend. I would have tried the opposite. Because the more mean we are to them, the more the church grew. I mean, if you're really trying to destroy their movement, obviously you're going about it the opposite direction. Because the meaner it gets, the more persecuted it gets, the more church thrives. And the, the truth of our Christian heritage and culture and history is that the, the more persecution we receive, the more we blossom, the prettier we get. It's not much different than Jesus at the cross, right? The bloodier he is and the more he gets beaten, the more free we become. Man, as often when it comes to dealing with boat rockers and troublemakers, they tend to cause a ruckus. And from Jesus to now, uh, uh, all of his followers, the Pharisees, they they grew more and more irritated. Uh, And if you move forward another few chapters, the disciples that they made, Stephen, by chapter 6, he's being stoned because he won't shut up in the middle of the Pharisees who now are getting madder at him the more he preaches to them. And if you press on, by the time we get into 12 and move on a little bit, then it's going to come in Paul. And Paul just simply like pulled up his shirt, <laughs> right? I mean, like this dude got this like prison body. This looks like it's beat up. He looked like a cop that goes to prison, man. He's just beat up, got tattooed. I mean, like that dude's just tattooed in scars. Whips all over his back. I mean, I mean, it's probably his whole back's got to be mangled. He was whipped three times. Guy's snake bitten. I got to imagine that some pieces of him are still swollen. He shipwrecked twice. I mean, he's just like, if, if that guy ain't a man's man, I don't know what it is. He would probably look intimidating. Like, are you like an MMA fighter? He walk all the time. He had to be pretty fit, you know? 
<laughs> he had to swim twice from a shipwreck, okay? I mean, you got to be pretty fit to survive all the things that he survived. I mean, he looked like a fighter. His scars were his testimony and the cost of living as a boat rocker. Now, you know, I wrote on here, if you're, if, if you're not a boat rock, rocker, why not? Well, maybe because that scares you. <laughs> I can't imagine too many of us are like, yeah, throw down them 30 whips right now. Let's go. Yeah, I don't think none of us. And, I, and today in our culture, that's not what we get. We don't get a, a whip across our back. We get like excommunicated. We go be alone. We, we withdraw. We try to find places where we just can just be by ourselves and just try to, you know, walk past that and keep quiet again. Because why? Because the time we stood up was too hurtful for us. Listen, I'm not going to say any of it's easy. But I will say this. There is no way you can live the Christian life and not rock boats in the world. There's no way. Everything that you are saying, that you love in Christ, Christ was hated by this world. And he says you will be too. You either embrace that <laughs> Or you can try to hide through that. But I'm going to tell you what, if you're hiding through that and not saying anything, you're not probably changing anything either. There's just no way you cannot rock the boat. Now, I know like uh, it's, it's hard for me, too, because I don't want to come off condemning to somebody's lifestyle or condemning to uh, any, the way somebody lives. And I, and I believe in grace and I want to give grace. But, and, and one of the things that I've come to, to really learn about grace is this. Like, I don't have to like, condemn anybody's lifestyle. I don't have to like, come against them. All I have to do is introduce them to Jesus. And it's not Je- and then Jesus will condemn them. No, Jesus will love them. And as they draw close to that love, because that love is so attractive, it's a love that accepts where you're at who you are, just like you are, right? All your wrongness, all your brokenness, he accepts all that. Your life tends to be changed because of his love. Like the more you walk with him, the more you're drawn to do things that Christ loves. And it just one day happens. One day you were drinking and you were having a good time and you're that, for me, I was that kind of guy, partying, and then I don't know when it happened, but little by little, God didn't say, oh, he took these. Sometimes I say, well, he took these things. But really, he loved me into this guy that I am now. And God is still loving me into the guy he's trying to create. It's not over. I still get things wrong. I still rock the boat in times when I shouldn't rock the boat. Right? Where we always pray, Lord, I just want to know your will, but don't listen. I'm going to tell you right now. There's some things that are obvious. Injustice sometimes is an obvious thing. And God needs people to stand up. Well, I might get beat up. They might not be my friends anymore. I know. You better make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Can't be your cause. I'll tell you that right now. If it's your cause, it's going to not be a good one. It's not worth it. You've got to think about what you're going to say and what you're going to do. You've got to think about it. Is this worth standing up for? Is this, is this what I'm going to do? Think, Jesus even says, weigh consequences, weigh the cost of all things, weigh the cost of discipleship. A smart man weighs the cost. When you were called to be a disciple of Christ, you were called to be somewhat of a boat rocker. The reputation of all Christians through the book of Acts are troublemakers. Why aren't you? Why aren't you? I've been called worse. I've been called worse. I've had to do a lot of things I didn't like to do for the sake of not just rocking the boat, but for the sake of for doing what's right. Elijah didn't stand up because he just wanted to rock the boat. He stood up because it was what was right. Micaiah said what he did, even though he was going back to prison, because that's what was right. 
Jesus said the things he did to the Pharisees, not to ridicule them, although that, that is part of what happened there. But he did it because it was what was right. The apostles, when they spoke out to the Pharisees, they were doing, his, and if you finish that paragraph, he'll tell you, what should we do? Should we obey God or obey you? And it's, a, it's facetious. He knows the answer. They do too. We're not going to listen to you. We're going to obey God. We're supposed to, we're called to tell people about Jesus and we're going to. And if that's rocking the boat for you, get ready to swim. If you're not a, bo- a boat rocker, why not? Not saying you rock the boat every day. Don't be, don't be somebody's misery. Isn't this fun? No, I'm seasick. It's not fun. But there are times where we are called upon to speak up, to speak out, and to rock the boat, and to be the troublemaker. And it's mostly, if you, if you look at it where it's at in the Bible, most all circumstances revolve around injustice. That's why I brought up the, the, the Milgram uh, experiments. It's mostly around injustice. Most of us, when we see something bad happening, we sit back and be quiet and just not say anything when we should be standing up and saying something. This is why we should stand up and support things that take people out of human slavery and human trafficking. Right? This is why we do those things. This is why we go out and we reach missions or we try to help people who are in danger. You know, all these Christians being killed by ISIS and all these things. If there are ways we can help, we have to stand up for what the injustice. You know, the, the Black Lives uh, Matter uh, movement, they do matter. And I know we could get in this hard, well, all lives matter. Yeah, yeah, but right now, there is... <laughs> They experience a lot. I mean, they experience racism. It's real. And they experience a lot of things in their culture that's just the truth. I mean, one of the conversations I had a while back about that same thing was like, you know, um, <laughs> the guy said, well, what if it was your daughter? And he was arguing the Black Lives Matter, you know, argument. I go, well, if it was my daughter, she's white. She'd never had that problem. And that's the truth. And he laughed because he knows that's the truth. <laughs> There are injustices happening, and there are times for us to make waves. And we can't get mad at somebody when they see injustice and they try to make waves. We try to understand and we try to love through those moments. That way, when it's our turn to be that person, we get the same grace, right? Just hear what I'm saying. You might not see the injustice that I'm seeing, but I have to say something about it, right? That way, in this way, we can respect each other's like vision or the callings that God has upon us. I might not see things the way you do. You might have seen things or experienced things that I haven't. So just because I see you rocking the boat in there doesn't mean I should judge you. It's like you're doing something out of line or not right with the Lord. That, I can't pretend to know what your life's about or what you've seen or what you've, what you've been a part of. I can't pretend to know those things. But what I can say, there's no way we can be a Christian and not rock the boat once in a while. There's no way. This election cycle, it's huge boat rock. It's a huge boat rock. We've already seen more things than I know we care to see. All the injustices behind the scenes that have happened. It's crazy. It's crazy. Our job is to pray. This is a big week for us as Americans. Big week. We should be praying every day. I hope you are, man. We should be praying every day. And I'm going to tell you something. And somebody asked me this the other day. Well, what are you going to do if Hillary wins? I'm going to go back to work. <laughs> What do you want me to say? I mean, like, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to keep using my voice to spread the love of Jesus Christ. I'm going to go hunting. I'm going to go on on my vacation with my wife. America's not going to be the end, okay? 
All right? Grandma Clinton is not going to be the end of us. If she makes it, she makes it, and then she will be the president. And you know what? For four years, she will be the president. And how did we fight Barack Obama? We fought him through the Senate and the House. Okay, guys? Don't get worried over stuff. And I'm not saying it's not big and it's not something, but our God is big, really, really big. God raised up Nebuchadnezzar, who was a heathen God, until God stuck him out there into the fields and made him eat like cattle. And then all of a sudden, he gets his mind back and decides he's going to take care of the children of God. God raised up Artaxerxes. I don't know if you know Artaxerxes. He's the Persian king who married Esther. And then took care of the Jews. Right? God raised up Moses, man, when the time came to take care of all the Israelites out from Egypt. God raises up people. I I think we've talked about that this last week or so. God raises up individuals. God uses foreign nations for things. God uses a lot of things. But make sure, no, no mistake about it, God is using you. And if you think you can't be the one who changes things, you're wrong. You've fallen for some lie of the devil. You're wrong. You might have the very life-giving words that raises up the next generation to believe great things and change things and be the generation we couldn't be. And if we pass anything down our, our generation, we pass down hope. Amen? Amen. Now let's, get, let's stand up and get ready for some worship a little bit.